So I've done more speaking than writing. So, but before I speak, I obviously always write out what I think are the most important points. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. Hi, this is Kim O'Hara, and today I am so excited. We have with us Dr. Felice Carlton, and she is a doctor of nursing practice, a family nurse practitioner, a keynote speaker, health advisor, and well-esteemed integrative health coach. Hello, Dr. Felice. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So happy to have you on the show. I loved meeting you when I made my uh, virgin voyage to Charlotte this year and uh, got in a room with a group of incredible women and you really you know, stood out as someone with a strong voice and a big message. And so I'm glad that we can connect again here on the podcast. In your in your time, you know, working as a nurse, um, how do you mm-hmm. feel that the integration of your medical, you know, experiences and education? I mean, you have so many degrees. Let's just talk about that for a second. Um, <laughs> how do you how how is that meshed? Like, how has that become incorporated from going from you know being a nurse to having this bigger view of adversity and possibility? Right. Well, I would say that. So nursing obviously is a very broad field and you can do anything. And over the past 10 years, I've been one of those people that's done a lot, whether it's Mm. travel nursing, bedside. I worked in research. I worked at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. So all this infectious disease that you're hearing about with coronavirus, I I worked on a unit that dealt with those type of conditions. Wow. Um, What else? (laughs) So I've dealt with, let's see, primary care, which is like your traditional doctor's office. I worked for the Department of Veteran Affairs. So I've done several things. But the the key factor that kept coming back to me was prevention. So while Mm. I enjoyed the care I was able to, um, an impact I was able to make in my patients, my thought was always, how can I prevent people from getting to this state in life? You know, how, what can we do outside of a hospital setting to help prevent diabetic complications, to help prevent people from having to be admitted to the ICU or go to the emergency room? So I've always been passionate about health promotion, disease prevention, educating, empowering, giving resources when they're needed, um, not only from the perspective of it saves healthcare a lot of money, but from the perspective of quality of life. And right. so with that, I transitioned from working in a hospital setting when I, I relocated back to North Carolina and I worked for the Department of Veteran Affairs. And my job at that particular role, I was the charge nurse of their clinics. And I, my job was basically all the veterans who had um, poorly controlled diabetes and we wouldn't buy a factor called A1C. A1C is your average blood sugar over three months. So those who had extremely high A1Cs, who had high blood pressures, high cholesterol, I had about 1,300 patients that I was in charge of. And my job wow. as a nurse was that's to get... A big, that's, <laughs> yes. a big, that's a lot of veterans <laughs> for you, right? <laughs> that is a lot. That is a lot. It is definitely a lot. My job was to work basically to get them under control. But as a nurse, you don't prescribe medicine. So I had to use other techniques. Everyone wants someone to listen to them. And that was my Mm. key with um, helping to have these amazing outcomes. So when I first started there, I had 18 pages of like Times New Roman font of a list of veterans 
who had to get you know get their or get their numbers down. They were when just I a left name. About they were just a later. name. Yeah, they were just a name when you started, when, and then you got to know them. Well, exactly. When I left, that list was down to like seven pages. So with that time, I was able to get numbers of people down to great ranges without increasing medications without doing other things. So I'll give you an example. One of the patients that I worked with was this um, patient that had, so I say a normal A1C for someone who does not have diabetes is 5.7 or less. His A1C was like a 16. 16 is like coma, diabetic stroke. <laughs> wow. you know, <laughs> right. Every time he would come, yeah, every time he would come to see us, his blood sugars were so high, we'd have to admit him to the ICU and give him IV fluids and all this other stuff. And no matter what anyone said, the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, they would say, okay, this is deadly. You can die. He would always, he'd listen to them. And then after they finished, he said, okay, so can I be out by three o'clock? And everyone's like, no, you cannot be out by three o'clock. And he would always <laughs> say, well, I have to pick up my granddaughter from daycare and I have to be out by three o'clock. So whatever you need to do, you can put me IV, you can put me in ICU, but I got to be gone by three. So I wow. listened to him and I said, look, it sounds to me like your granddaughter is very important to you. And no one ever said that to him. He's been coming to the same provider for five years Aww. and, or not once the same provider, same institution, you know, it's a mm -hmm. large institution for five years. And I gave him a moment to talk and he said, oh yeah, she's the best. She's the greatest. I'm the only thing she has. She really needs me. I love her. He would tell me all these great stories about how he loves to take her to the park and all the things they do. And I said, look, she needs you. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She definitely needs you. I said, it's really important. I know one day you want to see your granddaughter who's now four walk down the aisle, right? I want, I know you want to see her graduate high school in order for her to really enjoy you and for you to enjoy her you really have to be in great health, right? And great health is going to involve us getting your diabetes under control. It's not really about you. It's about the granddaughter, remember? Oh. And then it's like a light went off on him. So, of course, we admit him to the ICU. And he was a patient who, like, never came for follow-up appointments, never refilled medicines, never really, you know, just he would periodically get an appointment so he can keep his benefits. <laughs> that was it. Right, right. Um, <laughs> So a few months later, he called. He asked for a refill on insulin. It's interesting because, like, in five years, he never had a refill. So I made sure he got a refill on insulin. And I said, look, we need to get you back in. It's been a few months. Let's see how your numbers are doing. I haven't heard from you for a while. I'm concerned. I just want to make sure you're doing okay. So we check his blood sugar. And instead of it being a 16, which is, like, probably higher than an 800 blood sugar, um, his blood sugar was down to, like, a 7. And wow. that's a huge, huge drastic <clears throat> drop in three months. For someone, his medication regimen was not changed. Nothing else changed, but the fact that someone listened to him and someone right. was able to see him as a person, right, and realize what's important to him and make that a priority to them, then he felt more empowered to move forward with it. But before it was a disconnect. It was the world is telling him this. He doesn't care. All he cares about is granddaughter. But when you can when you can tie both of those together, you make these amazing outcomes. The compassion exactly. Piece. What you brought in was listening right. and compassion, and realizing that these mm -hmm. are human beings and that they all have a story, and it's not just a number. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has desires and they have goals, and they have. And you got to the heart of it for him, and in the getting to the heart of it, wanting to stay alive to see his daughter walk down the aisle, that you know made him want to have a longer and better life versus people saying you should take insulin. You should get your, you know, these numbers down. You should, the shoulds, right? None of us do well with the shoulds, right? That, mm -hmm. and you talk about this, you know, champion mindset. And, 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 you know, I would say that you're exemplifying that with the story that you just told, but it wasn't easy for you to get there. I mean, you've talked about, 
that you had to sacrifice a lot to get to where you are today, working three jobs and saying no to this party or that <laughs> wedding. Tell me a little bit more about that because people need oh, to know goodness. that, you know, they talk about overnight success, but overnight success, as we know, often takes 10 years. It, exactly. So I'm in that 10th year. So watch me, everyone, because you're going to see lots of great <laughs> things happen. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so I've always been raised in the, in the sense of, you need to work hard to get whatever you need in life. Like my grandparents are from humble beginnings. My grand, my father's father was a farmer. And so, you know, everything that he grew and ate and everything was all because of something that, you know, he put into hard work. So yes, when I was an undergraduate student, I went to the university of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, I did work three jobs until I got into nursing school. Once I became into nursing school, we had 12 hour shifts. So I had to cut down on one of my jobs. So I ended up doing still two jobs in nursing school. And, you know, as I continue to go through, um, life and, you know, my doctoral program, things, I was just always used to hustling, working hard. But in the process, I noticed that life began to happen to me. And I began to learn the value of, and I would say, fortifying a champion mindset by developing your mind. So your mind is like a muscle and your brain is like a sponge. So it cannot discriminate like me and you can discriminate in terms of what it soaks in. So as life happens and you're listening to negative things being portrayed, whether it's through social media or other avenues, um, you, you, it tends to sink in, right? But you have to make a conscious effort to pour in positive information, to say affirmations, to be, be careful what you're listening to. So I remember I'd have a long commute when I lived in Maryland, and I would listen to positive messages on my way to work and on my way back home. Mm -hmm. I would listen to things as I'm taking a shower. I would say affirmations into the mirror, even when I'm driving to clinical. So when I was in my doctoral program, I remember saying, even after I got accepted, I was brand new, like literally probably hasn't even taken the first step. I'm like, my name is Dr. Felice Carlton. I am a nurse practitioner. I'm changing the lives of patients. I am having successful women's retreats. I'm changing the lives of successful, high-achieving high professional women. I'm helping them to dig deep, but also to excel at the same time. I'm helping them to um, put their whole life in, look at their self in a holistic picture as opposed to just being a productivity number. Burner. Absolutely. Well, and we that, talked about yeah. when we were in the uh, session, uh, the writing session in Charlotte, you know, about obviously I was talking about books and I said, you know, you should write a book about this champion mindset and, and, and developing your mind and cultivating from within. And, you know, you were like, I, I, I don't know, maybe I wanted to ask you about, you know, whether you have done any writing and what it's been like for you when you have jotted down some ideas for a book. So I've done more speaking than writing. So, but before I speak, I obviously always write out what I think are the most important points. And I have done some writing, but I remember you said journal writing is the worst. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. My, my guilty thing has been journal writing. And then obviously taking that and putting into like, for example, I just did a speech at a university last week and I spoke about one, they wanted me to speak about nurse entrepreneurship, but I thought it's very important to put in that champion mindset portion because wherever these students or faculty members may go in the future, you have to have a rock solid mindset. And I if you are that. a business owner, you <laughs> thank you, you definitely have to have a rock solid mindset. So I talked to them about ways to position adversity as an accelerator instead of an oppressor. And in terms of the writing for that, what I did is I broke down the main key points that I think would be helpful for them. And so some of the things I talked about is how Things in life happen for you and not to you. And I, I see oftentimes when things happen to us, it's this whole, why me? Why me? Why me? But we don't realize that in that moment, it's developing us and developing strength 
for things we need in the future or even for a story that someone we're going to run into needs as their clarity and their breakthrough. And I'll give an example. So when I was, I would say summer of 2015 is a pivotal summer in my life that I will never forget. It's often right before amazing things are about to happen in your life. Everything falls apart. So at this (laughs) point, (laughs) and you know, you think there's something wrong with you. Like, you know, what am I doing wrong? So summer 2015, I just transitioned away from my job at Department of Veteran Affairs because my um, nursing uh, doctoral program kicked up to 90 hours a week of homework. And it was just impossible for me to be able to work. 90 hours a week. Nine zero. Let's just, oh let's just pause. I will never forget that. <laughs> Is it? Do you even? How do, do you bathe? <laughs> how do you bathe at ninety was, hours? <laughs> it was horrible. I'm 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 not gonna lie to you. I remember that summer. I would so. I was planning to leave my job anyhow, but I had an exit strategy and a plan. I was going to give it six more months, but obviously that whole complete plan just completely messed up because I didn't expect my program to go from 40 hours of study to 90 hours of study per week. With that, now my financial plan is off. I'm six months <laughs> off from my financial plan that I, you know, had different things saved up. So humbly, I had to move back home with my parents. I'm grateful that they allowed me to go back in because no one like near the age of 30 wants to move back home with their parents and no parent wants their child back home, honestly, not at that age. <laughs> So I remember sitting at my parents' kitchen table for 36 hours straight at a time. And I'd write like a, you know, 50 page paper or 40 page paper, or 80 page paper. And I remember like I would see my dad go to work. He'd come home from work, take a nap, go work in the yard, do other odds and ends, you know, watch television, eat dinner, go to bed, wake up, go to work the next day. And I'm still sitting in the computer, still sitting at the kitchen table typing, you know, and I would do that go to sleep for like maybe four hours or so, wake back up, do it again. I mean, it was honestly, it was one of those situations where you don't, after you get through, you're like, how did I get through? But it's one of those things that when you're in the moment, you just know you have to get it done. You know, right. like along the way, there were people that told you that you weren't worthy as well. Right. <laughs> so, you, so you were up against that. <laughs> Is that well, correct? I think at a at a young age, I learned from experiences that I don't care what people think. <laughs> and I know that sounds bad, but no, I remember growing up, I've always been that person who was growing up was like a people pleaser. I was a good student, the good child. I didn't want to step on people's toes. And then when I began to get into my career and I began to get into more competitive environments and I began to notice that there are some people who are jealous or they just don't like you regardless. You can do everything perfect. You can have completely genuine intentions, but they may not like you. And I learned to be okay with that. You know, so what I learned is that is this when someone shows you those type of things, just be grateful that they've identified themselves. Yes, I was told that um, by, you know, one of the faculty members at my school who was on the nursing selection committee, they didn't want, want to be doctors into their nursing program and that I should change my major. My major was changed as an undergrad student. But once again, things in life don't happen to you. They happen for you. So right. this lady ended up getting this major grant. And she couldn't, She the one semester I applied to nursing school, she was too busy to serve on the admissions committee. So I was like, great. So the the one thing that, you know, stands out for me as well is that, you know, you've gone through this whole journey and you've dealt with the adversity and you've been resilient. You've worked the 90 hours and moved back in with your parents. You and I'm just, now you're out of your parents' house. I understand. Correct. Yeah. You're still there. <laughs> so yeah. good for that. Good for yeah, everybody. Correct. So um, right. you you are learning to take a pause and have time for you. Is that Mm-hmm. Something that you are able to now show other women that 
Yes, the journey can be long. Yes, we can put in the hours, but at a certain point, in order to be the best selves, we need to also be be able to go to family events, be able to find joy, be able to have time for ourselves. How are you incorporating that into your life right now? Um, I'm intentional. So when I look at my calendar, I plan things out, you know, a few weeks and months. And I block off specific days. I will not let, allow certain things to come up on my calendar. So, for example, if I want, if I know how, to, I would say what we do is very mentally taxing. And when you work a job where you're mentally drained or emotionally drained, you have to be intentional about re-pouring back into yourself. Mm-hmm. So one thing I do is I'm definitely intentional about massages. I'm intentional about carving days out of my schedule. I'm intentional about fun. Someone who's a, a type A person, you know, we're always driven. There's always something. There's oh, always it's hard something to have to, fun. To do, you know? Right. And so it's interesting because people who are not type A don't understand that, you know, like we have to schedule fun where they have to schedule work. <laughs> and so I'm, <laughs> I'm learning that ba- I'm learning that balance and also just creating safe space for other women. So one thing I do is women's retreats and workshops where we create that safe space to just be transparent and to be okay. And to teach women, it's okay to say no, no is a complete sentence and feel, feel okay with that. Because every time you take on something that was not supposed to be on your plate, you're giving up something else. And oftentimes you give up some of the most important things, whether it's time with your family, the time with your spouse, you know, it's personal self-care, just relaxing time, you know, and it's one of those things that I'm intentional because I want to live by example to the ladies that I actually coach. Eventually, this whole concept that you have on this champion mindset, you know, will be something that, I mean, that's a conversation that could be had over and over and over and over again, right? This whole accelerator mm-hmm. instead of an oppressor. And I guess for some people, they might have to think about that too hard and too long, but it's really not an mm-hmm. intellectual concept, really, right? Isn't it more of no. a, uh, w- what would you say about that? If it wasn't intellectual, what would it be? Because there's a lot of big words in there, adversity, accelerator, oppressor. Right. I, for me, it's more so being thrown and thrust into a situation of what I call transition. Transition is not comfortable. It's typically not planned. You know, you think you're doing okay in life and suddenly everything falls apart. And then before you can pick up those pieces, more pieces start to fall apart. So as I was going through difficult times, I didn't think, oh, let me use this as my accelerator. I was like, I'm in survival mode. I just got to live. I just got to get this done. You know, so in the moment, you don't think about that, right? When we're in life, all we see is what's directly in front of us. And it's easy to see all the things that are going wrong. But when we get through things and we can tell it with someone else, they're so oftentimes we don't realize how amazing we are until someone else brings it out. But they're saying, well, you made it through that. Are you serious? I'm like, well, I didn't think it was that bad until now I said it out loud. And now I want to cry. Which is good. We can all we can all use a good cry here and there. Right. Yeah. T- tears are purging. I always bring lots of boxes of Kleenex to my workshops and women's retreats because Oftentimes we're, we're ingrained that we have to be the strong woman. We have to be superwoman. We have to hold it all in. But it's this innate part of us to be loving and nurturing and to really be transparent. And that's where transformation comes. So, like, for example, I was telling about the, the 2015. So first week of class, an uncle who I was close to died. Two weeks after that, the guy who I was in a relationship with, who I thought was my husband, broke up with me. A week oh. after that, my best friend's. Oh, it's good. Thank you. I'm okay now, but that okay, was not okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we always have to now, do the. So, I, mean, I always yeah. have to. Yeah, we always have to have the oh to yeah. feel like that, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sure it's yeah. for the best. So my 
Yeah, my best friend's mom died that following week. The same week of that, my one of my closest friends, who's also one of my colleagues in this doctoral program, who has been, who was going through some adversity as well. This is a light way to say it for her. Her her firstborn child died, oh. and the week after that. Um, I had a former business partner. They passed away. And like, all of this happened in the same week while I'm having this 90 hours a week of homework. I'm stressed out. I'm staying up all night. I'm gaining weight. I gained 25 pounds in one summer. My hair is falling out. My oh heart my rate is going God. up. My blood pressure is going up. There's all this things going on, but everyone kept seeing this, this image of sex. I was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, keep moving. And I'm like, no, I'm falling <laughs> apart. People, people would say, oh, I'm, you're inspiring me. And I'm like, please be inspired by somebody that has all their hair. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, I, I can laugh now, but when you're going through it, all you know is survival. You just have to put one step foot in front of the other. And sometimes you can't even walk. You have to crawl through or roll through or cry through or whatever it takes. And so when I begin to tell that story and people begin to realize like, wow, it's not just a young person who's driven and wants to get like, this is someone who's experienced life. And oftentimes, if you are a person of influence, not specifically the social media world definition of influence, but when you have a message and you have a purpose, things will happen to you quicker, they will hit you harder. And it will happen in such a way that you never expected because one, you know, not there's not Sometimes there's like a almost opposition to your message getting out. But the big thing being there are people who need to hear your story and need to see how you made it through so you can help them to get through their difficult time. Because we have these individual silos where we think that we are the only one going through life. It's only happening to us because everyone else has these beautiful Facebook pictures and Instagrams and social media and their life is perfect. And why is mine falling apart? No, theirs is perfect, too. They're just choosing to own. I mean, theirs is falling apart, too. They're just choosing to only put certain things, right? Don't compare your right. real life to someone else's social media life. <laughs> like what is it? And that's what you speak of. You speak of, you know, mm-hmm. the real story, you know, becoming a champion and having a champion mindset is a whole journey with highs mm-hmm. and lows and deaths and, you know, you know, successes and losses. And it's, it's the whole bandwidth, you know, it's the entire bandwidth. And, and that is why we devour other people's stories, books, movies that are mm-hmm. those champion stories where someone else has gone through it and figured it out. And we can kind of go, oh, God, thank God we don't have to go through that much. I'm glad that they went through all that for us, right? So we don't have to, so we, can right. maybe, we can maybe mitigate some of the like damage by cutting some corners because, because that's what you would do is you would teach someone how to bypass some of the, um, you know, I wouldn't say mistakes you've made, but so, you know, help them find a clearer and maybe easier path to success. Right. Absolutely. Right. Knowing that we can't always stop what happens, but how we respond is important. And yes. if someone can have those nuggets, those tools, those strategies that when for example, when something like, for example, my doctoral program happened, I'd gone through adversity before. So I, in the previous event, I built muscles. So it didn't, although it affected me, it didn't break me down to the level that it could have because it's almost like starting a test with some answers already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are right. some parts you're just going to fill out. There are certain ones that are just going to get wrong and, you know, but there's some things that you can carry from previous situations that if I made it through XYZ situation and this person made it through significantly worse. I somehow, some way will make it through. It may not look the way I want it. It may not go the way I want to at all. But in the end, I will make it through and I'll be a better person as a result of that. 
Wow. Well, thank you so much. I think that's a wonderful place for us to stop. We've given the listeners Mm. so many nuggets and uh, in the show notes, you're offering a free gift so that they can do more developing of this champion mindset. And I appreciate that. And so thank you so much Mm. for joining us from Charlotte. And um, I hope that we uh, can see more of you in the future. I know we will. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. To make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about how to write a book, check us out at a storyinside.com. <laughs>